Good evening in the news tonight. The state of President Donald Trump's health remains shrouded in mystery. Calls for a new investigation into the police shooting of Breonna Taylor continue to grow. And teachers at the Brooklyn Friends School went on strike today. In New York, I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of The Independent, and this is the WBAI Evening News for Monday, October 5th, 2020. President Donald Trump remains hospitalized in the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center as of late this afternoon. The condition of the world's most famous COVID-19 patient remains unclear after a weekend filled with conflicting statements from the president's doctors and White House aides. Trump has run a high fever, his oxygen levels have dropped twice, and he has been treated with both the steroid dexmethasone and the experimental drug remdesivir all of which suggests his case may be more severe than his handlers are letting on. Trump's lead doctor, Sean Conley, offered a a sort of apology on Sunday for his sunny assessment of the president's health on the previous day. Didn't want to give uh, any uh, any information that might uh, steer the uh, the course of illness in another direction, um, and in doing so, uh, you know, it came off uh, that we were trying to hide something, which wasn't necessarily true. COVID-19 has raced through the Trump White House and the upper echelons of the Republican Party. First Lady Melania Trump, Trump Senior Advisor Hope Hicks, Trump 2020 Campaign Manager Bill Stepien, and White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany have been infected, as have former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, RNC Chairman Rona McDaniel, and Republican Senators Ron Johnson, Mike Lee, and Tom Hillis. Republican Senators Ron Johnson, Mike Lee, and Tom Tillis the latter two of which sit on the Senate Judiciary Committee. It is now widely thought that a September 26th gathering at the White House to celebrate the Supreme Court nomination of Federal Appeals Court Judge Amy Coney Barrett helped spark the outbreak as few of the GOP elites who were present wore masks or practiced social distancing at the event. Senate Republicans had planned to begin Coney Barrett's confirmation hearings on October 12th, but that is no longer certain. This is Minnesota Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar speaking yesterday. We've got the fact that now three senators have it. As you point out, two are on the Judiciary Committee. And Mitch McConnell has shut the Senate down for two weeks because of health concerns. Um, Because we don't know how many other Republican senators had it. There were a number of other ones that were at the Rose Garden. They have a lunch together where they don't have masks. We don't do that on the Democratic side. They do. And so it's very possible we're going to have more senators, more staff. So I don't know why you would ram through the Supreme Court hearing, put people in danger because it would be within that two-week period while you have shut down the whole Senate. While Trump's health crisis has prompted many of his political rivals to wish him a speedy recovery, others are expressing outrage at the luxury treatment he's receiving, while tens of thousands of Americans have died alone and in agony from a virus the president has consistently dismissed. Quote, all these politicians checking into hospitals as a precaution is amazing to me, tweeted the author Alicia Rye, because when my mom, a healthcare worker, had suspected COVID, they told her to only come back if she needed a ventilator. The confirmed COVID-19 death toll in the United States has surpassed 209,000 people, with 1,038,000 killed worldwide. Later in the show, we'll talk with a healthcare worker at a safety net hospital in East Flatbush, Brooklyn, which has been targeted for closure by the end of the year, not by Republicans, but by New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Despite warnings, New York could experience a severe second wave of the pandemic this winter. 
In Louisville, outrage continues to mount following the release on Friday of 15 hours of audio tapes from a grand jury inquest into the police killing of Brianna Taylor in March during a no-knock at what turned out to be the wrong address. Louisville activist Christopher 2X on Sunday said a second grand juror had contacted him with concerns about how Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron presented the evidence. Taylor's family is calling on Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir to appoint a special prosecutor. This is the family's attorney, Benjamin Crump, speaking about the grand jury. Nobody was presenting evidence on behalf of Breonna Taylor in that grand jury proceeding. In fact, there's one exchange where you uh, hear the prosecutors after they've offered just a snippet of a body cam video, uh, a grand juror who sounds like a black woman says, well, do we get to uh, see the rest of the body cam video? And the prosecutor says that, well, ma'am, we have 15 hours of body cam video, and that would take too much time, of which, Amy, she retorts back, we have the time. A Texas man is dead, and his family is demanding answers after police in Wolf City, Texas, shot and killed him Saturday night. Jonathan Price, a former college football player, intervened in a domestic dispute at a gas station convenience store in which, according to eyewitnesses, a man was attacking his female partner. The altercation spilled out into the gas station parking lot, and when the police arrived, they shot and killed Price. No body cam footage has been released. The officer who pulled the trigger is reported to be white. Back here in New York, teachers at the Brooklyn Friends School went on strike Monday morning, demanding that the school's leaders cease efforts to have their union decertified. This is from a rally held this morning outside the school. Susan Gordon, a third grade teacher and a member of the union's negotiating committee, told the Independent that the teacher's stand was consistent with the school's principles. You know, I think that people are doing exactly what we teach kids to do um, when they see something that isn't right within their community, which is that they stand up and they gather together and they speak out. And that's what we're doing. The Quaker-run private school, known for its progressive curriculum, has sought to take advantage of a Republican-dominated National Labor Relations Board ruling from earlier this year that says religious schools do not have to recognize unions formed by their workers. We'll have more about the strike in the second half of the show. When we come back from this short break, we will look at efforts to save a safety net hospital in East Flatbush from being closed at the end of December when a second wave of the pandemic could be underway in New York. There's already so much pain, so much pain, so much pain. There's already so much pain and there ain't nothing else we can do. Fight by Wyatt Waddell. You're listening to the WBAI Evening News presented 
Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper website, celebrating 20 publishing this fall. I'm John Tarleton, the Indy's Editor-in-Chief. You can find our latest coverage at independent.org. That's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot O-R-G. Our October print edition hit the streets last week, and you can find it in our red and white news boxes on a street corner near you here in the city. In our first segment, we look at uh, we uh, delve into another aspect of uh, the COVID crisis as concerns about a second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic returning to New York are growing as the percentage of those testing positive continue to tick upwards. On Sunday, Mayor Bill de Blasio announced he would impose new restrictions on businesses in 20 hotspot neighborhoods in Brooklyn and Queens. Today, he was overruled by New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who announced he would not allow the business restrictions to be implemented at this time, but instead would close schools in nine hard-hit zip codes in Brooklyn and Queens. If New York City is slammed by a second wave of the pandemic this fall and winter, it will need all the hospital capacity it can muster. However, that fact has not altered a plan initiated by Governor Cuomo that would shut down the Kingsbrook Jewish Medical Center by the end of the year. Located at 585 Schenectady Avenue in East Flatbush, Kingsbrook is a safety net hospital that serves a mostly low-income population. Its closing would come on the heels of more than a dozen hospital closings in New York City since 2000. Overall, New York State has lost 21,000 hospital beds during that same time, which proved to be disastrous at the height of the pandemic this past spring. Joining us this evening to talk about the situation at Kingsbrook is Joanne Brown, a registered dietitian who works on the acute care floors at the hospital. Joanne, welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. You bet. So first of all, for our listeners, uh, can you uh, describe uh, who Kingsburg serves and the role it plays in the community and also uh, the role it played this spring when the pandemic was at its height? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the population that Kingsburg Jewish Medical serves is what you would find in uh, many community safety net hospitals. Um, in this case, BIPOC, and um, for this hospital, largely a West Indian and Caribbean immigrant uh, community. Um, many of these patients have been coming to this hospital for a very long time. Um, we find we have mostly older adults who are about 50 uh, years old or older. Um, our patients have many comorbidities, including um, diabetes, hypertension, chronic kidney disease. Um, they have suffered uh, coronary artery disease or stroke. And as you can imagine, um, our paper patient population with their comorbidities was very, very hard hit by COVID-19. And, and to um, what length did y'all have to go to uh, treat your patients? I understand y'all had to repurpose uh, almost every a square inch of the hospital that was uh, available? Well, that's correct. So we started with 100, we start with 163 acute care beds on several med medical and surgical floors. Uh, during the surge, it was a completely, all of those beds were taken up by patients that needed care. Um, and in fact, we did repurpose the uh, inpatient uh, acute rehabilitation floor, which is an additional 40 beds. Um, those re residents, from, those rehab residents um, partnered with our medical residents and were able to absorb an additional 40 patients. So we surged our bed capacity to about 200. Um, our ED was also over, overwhelmed. Um, we have a normal 
uh, licensed bed of about 78 beds. And on a very high day during the pandemic in spring, we might have had maybe 100 100 people uh, at at our uh, doors in the ED. That's an increase of about 28%. Um, now, as I just want to note that um, there was some meetings that occurred on September 24th. It was the Public Health and Health Planning Committee. Um, this is where One Brooklyn Health System uh, filed their application to become a legal merger with all three hospitals. Um, the committee asked um, the administrators, uh, what what how, what percentage of the beds were open during the surge? Um, and the um, uh, the administrators replied that twenty about twenty five percent of the beds were left open. Um, and the the Department of Health representative quickly chimed in and said, according to the herds data, uh, that was twenty two percent of our beds were left open. Now um, I'm not sure if this is a, a sluggish reporting to the herd system because we were so overwhelmed. Perhaps the administrators did not get the data in time, in a timely fashion, or mm-hmm. they were counting or they were counting our site site beds, which we actually closed. So if you do the math and for those psych beds that were closed during the surge in order to um, repurpose the staff from the psychiatric units down to the medical surge unit, uh, that, that, that number makes sense. Yeah, 22% of the actual beds in the, in the, in were, were open, but they were not usable for COVID patients. I see. Now, when we look at this, uh, the potential closure of, of Kingsbrook, uh, now, it, it, the boosters of this are, are calling it a, a transformation, not a closure. But can you describe uh, what all would be lost uh, if if this plan goes through in terms of the services that the hospital currently provides? Well, let me just give you a clear definition, okay? A closed hospital, as defined by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Office of the Inspector General, is a facility that stopped providing general short-term acute inpatient care. The systematic elimination of medical surgical beds at Kingsburg Jewish Medical Center fits this definition. So only after each of those beds that provides acute care inpatient service is closed can a transformation to outpatient and ambulatory care occur. So you are, in fact, eliminating, as per the definition, that service in order to transform the space to accommodate what the plan entails. Um, so what will remain after um, the medical surgical beds are closed um, and phased out, we'll have 40 physical medical rehabilitation beds. Those are beds that accommodate uh, patients for other facilities that come to our facility for intensive rehabilitation, perhaps they had a stroke or some other, or even COVID-19, we've had a few of those. Um, And then the rest of the space is going to be transformed to outpatient and ambulatory services, but we're just not clear on that timeline. So, um, you know, that has a big impact on um, how jobs are going to be funneled into the transformed space of Kingsbrook. And I, I just want to bring up some language that uh, was in the application before uh, the PHHC for the jo- legal Joanne? merger. Yeah. Yeah, we we, we only have a, a, a couple more minutes, so I, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds, but this uh, so-called transformation, uh, if it went through, uh, would that mean that uh, Kingsbrook would uh, no longer be able to service uh, uh, people who uh, are having, you know, acute COVID-19 uh, symptoms in, in need care? 
So likely if uh, they were brought to our emergency department, which will still be in service, they would uh, be stabilized. Um, but once the acute care beds upstairs are closed, um, they would not be sent in the same facility for care. They would be transferred to another facility. So perhaps a uh, uh, third will go to another OBS hospital, Interfaith or Brookdale. Um, if they're overwhelmed, perhaps they'll go to another facility downstate Kings um, or Kings County. Mm. Now, of course, uh, these hospitals uh, were overwhelmed in the spring, and so that could happen again. Um, so we just have a little bit of time, but one, one thing that uh, has caught my eye in all of this uh, as these plans uh, go forward, uh, that there's a, a real estate developer who's also a major uh, Andrew Cuomo campaign donor who is in the thick of all this. Um, can you just say a little bit about that and then uh, let people know how they can find out um, can get in touch with uh, uh, you and other other folks that are, are fighting this uh, closure? Yeah, so part of the Vital vital Brooklyn plan and the transformation of the campus of Kingsbrook was to um, RFP request for proposal, the buildings on the site that were initially um, administrative buildings, and those are going to be um, uh, repurposed or torn down and rebuilt for affordable housing. I'm not quite sure what the schedule of affordable housing based on the AMI it's going to be, but um, yes, um, Alexander Roth is uh, a billionaire heavily invested in real estate in Brooklyn, and he was appointed to uh, the head of the board of directors of One Brooklyn Health System. Um, so it remains to be seen. Uh, my understanding is that the housing is going to be 100% affordable. It's just a matter of tiers. Um, but, you know, plans change. Yeah, they sure do. Uh, in, in between what, what's uh, promoted when they want to get these uh, these things imp- uh, approved and then what uh, ultimately happens. Uh, so last of all, uh, real quick uh, before you have to go, how, how can people uh, get in touch with you and, and find out more about this and how they can get involved if, if they want to? Uh, try to fight to save this hospital? Uh, we have a, a petition that's circulating, circulating, but if you want to reach us directly, we have an email address. Again, we're just a small grassroots group of staff that really just want to see the hospital stay open throughout uh, an impending second sur- surge. So we can be uh, reached at an email address, uh, one word, bedsnotbodybags at gmail.com. B-E-D-S-N-O-T-B-O-D-Y-D-A-G-S at gmail.com. All right. We'll have to leave it there. Joanne Brown, Brown, healthcare worker at the Kingsbrook Jewish Medical Center in East Flatbush. Thank you for joining us this evening on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate your help. You bet. Thank you. We'll be back with more after this short break. There's already so much pain and there ain't nothing else we can do. Hey, she That was Fight by Wyatt Waddell. You are listening to the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website, celebrating 20 years of publishing this fall. I'm John Tarleton, the Indies Editor-in-Chief. Before we continue with our second segment, I want to encourage everyone who can do so to give generously to WBAI and help keep shows like this on the air. You can give by calling 516-620-3602. Again, that's 516-620-3602. 
02 or by going straight to give to WBAI.org. You can make a one-time donation or better yet, sign up as a WBAI buddy for $10 per month or more and help keep WBAI and show WBAI and shows like this on the air. I'll share that info uh, again at the end of the show. So earlier today, teachers at Brooklyn Friends School affiliated with UAW Local 2110 went on strike. The teachers in support of parents rallied outside the school demanding the Quaker-run institution not try to decertify their union and terminate their collective bargaining rights. The private school has long been known for its progressive curriculum. So why are they trying to bust a union and potentially bring in scabs to do the jobs of their longtime teachers? Joining us this evening with the latest on this labor dispute and its causes is, Su- is Susan Gordon, a third-grade teacher at the Brooklyn Friends School. She is in her 15th year of teaching at the school and, and is also a member of her union's negotiating committee. Susan, thank you for joining us on the WBAI Evening News. Thank you so much. It's actually Sarah. I'm so sorry. Sarah, Sarah Gordon, no thank you for joining us uh, this evening. Yeah. Uh, so uh, can you give us the, the latest update on wh- where things stand uh, with this strike that's now underway? Absolutely. Um, I also want to clarify that one of the things that makes our union so special and one of the things that we're so proud of is it's actually a wall-to-wall unit. So it's comprised of teachers, cafeteria workers, maintenance workers, office staff, nurses. Um, and really, we are the school. Um we unionized in May 2019. We voted to unionize, and um, since then, um, we have been working towards getting our first contract. Um, and um, basically what happened was um, in the middle of the summer, after switching to a shorter one-year uh, kind of shorter one-year contract simplified in the face of the pandemic, um, we halted negotiations to um, actually negotiate over layoffs, um, which, you know, as as anybody, especially people who live in New York know, um, you know, the fallout of the pandemic was pretty immense, um, and we understood that the school was facing some difficulty. Um, so we were in the middle of um, – we actually finalized these – layoff negotiations, uh, trying to get a modest severance package and things like recall rights for uh, laid off teachers in general. Um, that was the majority of our layoffs. And then two weeks to the day uh, that we finished those negotiations over layoffs um, at seven o'clock at night, members of the Brooklyn Friends community, so both uh, parents along with union members um, and Faculty and staff received an email from the head of the school and the board of our trustee uh, board of trustees, stating that they had filed a petition to the NLRB, which would um, which questioned our um, which would I mean basically result in the decertification of our union um, by taking advantage of a pretty new um, Trump led. Um, Presidents that uh, had that just overturned many Obama era presidents, um, and uh, that they would about religious exemption, um, and so they are. So that is kind of where we are. And in the past six weeks, um, families have been reaching out to the school. There have been 
petitions. There have been hundreds of letters, thousands of people signing um, uh, onto an open letter, um, Quaker meetings, and the school has not backed down. And this is really our this is kind of where we are, and um, right. so we are striking. Right. And just to, I, I think, clarify one thing for our listeners is, you yeah. know, when Trump uh, was elected and came into office, uh, he was able to uh, appoint a new majority to head the National Labor Relations Board, uh, and and that majority um, is, is who uh, – promulgated this new rule that uh, I guess says that uh, if religious schools uh, don't want to be bothered by having uh, workers with a labor union, they can uh, uh, avoid that. Um, So your uh, school community, it seems like there's been a lot of outrage and the the parents uh, too are are with you? Uh, Yeah, the support from families have really been immense. I mean, people send their children to Brooklyn Friends School because they know our, um, you know, our legacy of being a school that uh, is progressive, um, teaches children to be activists, um, and, um, you know, and that is really what we work towards. And I think that, you know, that A, the school would seek to remove our collective voice and our voice at the table where decisions are being made, especially in the middle of a pandemic, I think is um, already really problematic and um, disheartening. And then that they would be relying um, on this uh, labor board decision, which also, I mean, is part of a slew of decisions that clearly, um, you know, uh, uses religion in order to infringe on people's <laughs> workplace rights. Um, so unionizing, but also, you know, LGBTQI um, rights as well. So, you know, this is not the legacy of Brooklyn Friends to set a new precedent um, that would further erode the rights of workers. So um, families have been amazing. They've been incredibly supportive. They've uh, started a, a strike hardship funds that they and other community members are um, donating to so that uh, teachers and uh, workers at the school do not have to decide between being able to eat and standing up for what's right. Right. Now, we we, we just have uh, 15 seconds here, but can you let people know uh, how they can uh, show their support for you all? Yes, if you um, if you can find us on Facebook at BFS Union, but we also have a website bfsunion.org, and in there there's a link to the strike fund and other ways to get involved. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. But Sarah Gordon, third grade teacher at the Brooklyn Friends School, thank you for joining us this evening on ninety nine point five FM. Thank you. Okay, bye bye. Well, that just about wraps it up. Special thank to the. Thanks to the Indies, Amba Gergarian, Renee Feltz, and Sue Brisk for their help with this evening's show. Again, I want to encourage everyone who can do so to give generously to WBAI and help keep shows like this on the air. It doesn't get any more grassroots than WBAI. You can give by calling 516-620-3602. One more time, that's 516-620-3602. Or you can go straight to give, number 2, WBAI.org. And when you do, you can make a one-time donation or even better yet, sign up as a WBAI buddy for $10 per month or more and help 
keep shows like this on the air. We'll be back at the same time next week. You stay well out there. Dead bodies in the street and there ain't nothing that we can do.